This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Julia Magana. Welcome back to EM Pulse. On our first ever EM Pulse podcast, we spoke about marijuana ingestion in children and we called it Pot Tarts. <laughs> and here we are three years later following up. I am here with Dr. James Chenoweth, a toxicologist at UC Davis and an assistant professor of emergency medicine. James, thanks. I'm so glad to have you back on our podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. So walk us briefly through the ups and downs of marijuana legalization in California. California has actually had legal medicinal cannabis products for quite a long time. And then more recently, uh, we legalized cannabis for recreational use. Uh, and what that means is that essentially anyone over the age of 21 can go into a licensed dispensary and purchase a variety of cannabis products uh, for their own personal use. Yeah. And why is this so important in kids? One of the reasons why it's important to kids is that kids get into their parents' stuff. They steal their stash. So when parents have more cannabis available just because it's legal, that means that more kids are going to be getting into their parents' cannabis products. And one of the issues with cannabis is that it's not really thought of by most people as a medicine. Now, there's a bunch of people that are on it for medicinal reasons, but when we're talking about parents purchasing for recreational use, they may not think of it as a particular danger to their kids. And so the storage may not be as safe as they would use for like heart medication or things like that. And when marijuana was legalized in California, did they put any regulations in place about storage and disposal of these legal products? There's a lot of regulation surrounding cannabis, uh, but most of it has to do with the regulation of the dispensaries themselves and the products that are being developed, uh, including things like packaging. Uh, initially, it was pretty much the Wild West, but they've slowly tried to change the regulations, in particular as it, as it relates to edible products, to decrease their appeal to kids. Um, you can look on the internet and, and some of these products were originally packaged to look essentially like candies that you would buy at the grocery store uh, with just very slight names. So like the Pop-Tarts reference was actually a product that was made to look like Pop-Tarts, but it was named Pop-Tarts and it had cannabis in it. Yeah. So they've now changed it so that the packaging isn't supposed to look like an actual like candy bar or various other things, but they still will often have the product on the front of the label. So if it's, say, brownies, there will be pictures of brownies on the front of it. Yeah, that's huge. And tell us about the potency of these products and why this is so important in kids. Yeah, so the potency can be really high. I was looking at this for a presentation about a year ago and just kind of perusing uh, the different online stores and looking at the potency of some of these products. Some of these products are insane. So I found a cookie that had 100 milligrams of THC in it in a single cookie. Uh, and you're supposed to cut it up into tenths or something like that. The serving size is five milligrams of THC, um, which is a pretty typical dose is somewhere in the five to 10 milligram range for uh, people who don't use every day. Now, uh, people who use every day will use even higher doses, sometimes as high as like 50 to 100 milligrams in a single go. But for most people that are using occasionally, their dose for an edible would be in the 5 to 10 milligram range. And so you're talking about 
things like a single brownie bite or a single donut hole or a single gummy bear. And I don't know of anyone that eats a single brownie bite or a single gummy bear or a quarter of a a pop tart, things like that. It's just the serving sizes that are listed on these are about as ridiculous as the serving sizes on the side of a carton of ice cream. (laughs) That's a great analogy. This has implications for our kids, and we thought that there was going to be this big increase in pediatric ingestion of marijuana because of legalization, more availability, and also poor uh, storage. You are looking at this with the Poison Control Center, right? And what have you found? How are you looking at it? What I've been looking at is I've been looking at National Poison Center data um, from 2009 to 2019. And kind of looking at at it state by state, comparing states where they've had changes in their marijuana laws versus states that have uh, been stable. Because, you know, as culture changes, the availability of these products change. The acceptance of cannabis use precedes the change in the legalization status. So you you kind of expect as a group of people accepts the use of cannabis more and more that more would be available even if the legal status hadn't changed yet. So I think that's a really important aspect of the the research that I'm doing is to look and see if these changes in laws have an effect in and of themselves or whether the changes that we see in the number of exposures is just a continued trend related to cultural changes in the opinions regarding cannabis. And what did you find? So far, it, it looks like for states where there's no change in their legal status, uh, over the course of the study time frame, that exposure is somewhat right around tripled from the beginning to the end. Whoa. And in states where there was a change, there's a 5x increase. Um, and so when I was when I saw that initially, um, my first question was, does this represent a change in population? Is this increase purely because the states that have legal cannabis had a greater increase in population? And at least based on census data, that's not the case. So the the states with a change in their cannabis legal status actually had a lower increase in their population um, than the states that didn't have a change as a percentage of of total population. So um, the states with a legal change increased in population by about 6% over the time frame of the study, um, whereas those that didn't have a change increased by 9%. And what are some of the takeaways as a toxicologist that you have from this data? So, I mean, the first takeaway for me is that while they often end up at the hospital, they tend to be pretty uh, benign exposures. Now, there are exceptions. Like in the 2019, in the year 2019, there were three deaths associated with these exposures. Two of them were not cannabis by itself, um, and they were in teenagers with intentional use and probably were using other substances as well. But there was one death in a, a younger kid where the only reported exposure was cannabis. One of the limitations of poison center data is that we're kind of limited to just these outputs where they say, this was a death, here was the call, here was the exposure and the reported symptoms. But we don't have a narrative, like if you could look at a chart where you can see uh, what happened, whether someone aspirated, whether they actually came in in cardiac arrest, whether something else occurred during the course of a hospitalization that could have led to uh, the the death. But um, at least that one case is the only reported exposure was uh, a cannabis product. How do you talk to adults about marijuana uh, ingestion and storage 
when they have kids in the house? So I always ask parents to treat this just like they would any other medication. So, you know, kids, I don't care how safe your storage location is or how safe you think it is, whether it's on in the top of a cabinet, in the back of a closet, kids get there, um, <laughs> especially like three to five year olds, they will find it. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is. They will find it. And if it looks like food, they will eat it. And so I tell them to put it in a locked container um, and preferably a container that has either a key required for it or a combination lock. The added benefit of a key or combination lock is that if you have teenagers, it will also protect it from the prying hands of teenagers and prevent them from getting into it as well. But the safest thing to do is to lock up all your medications and just treat both alcohol and any other uh, recreational drugs that you may be using kind of like medicine. Lock it away, keep it away from your kids to prevent an exposure. And do you find that families are generally receptive to this advice? Absolutely. You know, most of these exposures that we get are in normal families that like to use a little bit of cannabis. And the parents are pretty distraught that their kid got into it. And so they're very receptive to the recommendations regarding these exposures. You know, it, it's kind of equivalent to when a kid gets into a parent's medicine or a grandparent's medicine. You know, it's accidental. It may represent a little bit of inattention or neglect in the moment, but it doesn't really represent that they're a bad parent or that the kid's really at real risk once they go home. You just have to educate the parents on on how to properly store these products so that you can prevent a future exposure and potentially prevent a more serious exposure to medication as well. What about disposal of marijuana byproducts? I don't know of any specific safe disposal sites or anything like that for these products. Um, if you're trying to get rid of an edible or plant material, probably the best thing to do is to flush it down the toilet that's going to get rid of it permanently. If you're talking about things like vape cartridges or things like that, you could ask your local dispensary if they have a process for like recycling these cartridges or things like that, because they do contain a lot of materials that would potentially be safe for reuse or recycling at a minimum. So I would ask if you're purchasing these at a dispensary, if they have a way that you can return them, recycle them, and some of them might. Yeah, I know in our city, there's a medication drop off site where you can leave unused medications and they'll properly dispose of them. And then we have it in our hospital as well, right? Like in the lobby. Yeah, it's clear for medications. There's like a lot of pharmacies will take old medications um, and they'll have disposal boxes. It's a little less clear when it relates to cannabis, whether these safe disposal locations are actually ones where you can you can drop it off. You can ask at the pharmacy if they accept those types of products. Um, and it'll probably vary depending on what pharmacy you're, you're going to. But if it's plant material or food, flushing it down the toilet's always a, a safe way to dispose of it. I heard somebody suggest mixing it into kitty litter and then nobody will want to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would, that would uh, hopefully be effective. Yeah, you can never tell. You can never, you can never tell, tell with a three to five-year-old, as you said. <laughs> we okay. call our four-year-old um, Captain Destructo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I actually looked into this with some medical students a few summers ago as well. And we surveyed families in the emergency department. And of those that took our survey, 14% of participants reported cannabis use in their home, 
this was a couple of years ago, so it is very much a real thing. You know, if you're showing up with kids in the emergency department, 14% of people reported cannabis at home. And a little less than half of those reported that their cannabis is actually locked and hidden. And users also reported being trained on how to store and dispose their products only 18% of the time. So it's very rarely happening. These discussions are just not happening. And interestingly, the most common source of education was friends and family. (laughs) Yeah. Which totally makes sense. Up until recently, this wasn't a conversation that most of these um, families felt would be safe to have with a practitioner. There was always the concern because it was still illegal for recreational use. There was always the concern that uh, a provider would call CPS, report to CPS regarding the use uh, of things like cannabis. And so I think that as we, as, as we move towards um, a less criminalization of the possession and use of these products, that people will be more comfortable having the conversation and the education will improve significantly. I love it. I think this is an opportunity to advocate for our kiddos. So if you see an adult who is using marijuana, whether you see or smell it, (laughs) use that as a moment to tell them to lock up their products and hide their products, really optimize that safety because this can make a big difference for our kids. Well, James, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate your time and your expertise as always. And thank you to you for listening. We'll see you guys next time on EM Pulse.